This is Jordan Stewart, and you're listening to Sucker Sub. Go listen. I'm Banter. Hey, this is Rob Stone from Fox Sports. You are listening to the Soccer Subs Podcast. Now pay me. Pay me in cash, boys. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for attending the Soccer Subs Podcast, the number one podcast covering soccer in New York City and all over the world. Let's give it up for Ronnie. Let's give it up for Christian. And let's give it up for you, the Soccer <laughs> Subs Podcast. The Soccer Subs Podcast. It's game on. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Soccer Subs Podcast, episode 24. My name is Ronnie. I'm your host. Joined here by my two Soccer Subs co-hosts, Christian and Hugh. We are missing our boy Eric today, but he'll be back for the next episode. And fellas, we got ourselves a final. Man City versus Chelsea. Super excited about that. Fellas, how you guys doing? I haven't seen you guys in a bit. How you guys doing? Guys, well, I hope Eric passes his final exams or whatever it is that he's doing, because that's the only way we let him out of this podcast. Uh, episode 24 i know i say the numbers but this is a day after mother's day so this one is dedicated to all the moms out there and especially for marta farias who is responsible for creating all of this for being an inspiration so a big kiss to the sky a big kiss to all the moms out here and welcome to the Super Sucks podcast thank you guys for joining us today thank you christian for that that intro and, and definitely like you said you know thanks to all the mothers out there, happy Mother's Day. Uh, any mothers who are listening to this podcast, happy Mother's Day to everyone. And thank you for tuning into the Saga Subs. That's right, Hugh. We have a big show for you guys today. We have a special guest joining us in a little bit. He is the head coach of FC Dallas. He's a former player as well. He's played for the San Jose Earthquakes, the Colorado Rapids, and Sporting Cristal and Miami FC. We're joined by the one and only Coach Luchi Gonzalez. Uh, super excited to have him on. Luchi. Oh, man. I know Chris is excited for this one. He gets excited anytime we talk to a coach. So FC Dallas has one of the best academies. Really excited to talk to Coach Luchi coming up in a little bit. And yeah, guys, since we last recorded, oh, man, we have ourselves a final. Chelsea versus Man City. Jose Mourinho to AS Roma. That is official as of the other day. Oh, man, that's going to be huge. Mourinho always has a place to go to. He'll never, he can get fired. <laughs> he always has uh, somewhere else next to go to. So Edison Cavani re-signing with Manchester United for one more season. That's going to be very interesting. And uh, Neymar, Neymar re-signing with PSG through 2025. We'll see if uh, PSG make it back to the finals. And then lastly, Serie A. We're seeing Serie A threatening Juve to exit the Super League or else they will get kicked out of the Serie A. So... That's going to be crazy. We'll see uh, these upcoming days if Juve get kicked out or if they actually stay in the city. Ah, by the way, they're not looking good. So I'm sure you guys can say that as well. But fellas, real quick, before we get to Coach Lucci, we got ourselves a final. Anything you guys want to say before we get to Coach Lucci? Yeah, I think you got to be careful with kicking Juve out the city out because they might already be going to the city B anyway because like <laughs> i don't know about that form i mean i mean like it's not like they're gonna even qualify for the champions league next year anyway they're dropping points so fast by the way shout out to brahim diaz who scored in the 45th minute against them city academy product real madrid loney i mean that's that's my guy uh, golazo golazo but no yeah in terms of the final look it's not the final i wanted I mean, I want, I, I really wanted Kalen Navas and, and, and Real Madrid in the final. And, and Christian, Christian knows, Christian knows, Christian's smiling across from me. He's happy as hell that I, that I didn't get the final right. But, you know, we, we got a cool preview of it this weekend with, with City and Chelsea playing in the Prem. And I mean, look, they didn't, I mean, they, they, they both pushed hard and, and City got kind of unlucky. And if any, if any of you haven't read like Twitter threads about why, Sergio Aguero's penalty shouldn't be criticized that much. Like a Panenka is not, he wasn't being lazy. Like a Panenka is a real way to score a penalty. So, and, and if you've ever watched how Sergio Ramos converted Panenka's for like half of last year, they're effective. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't sweat it too much, but look, you know, like I think it's going to be a really good Champions League final wherever it's played. Uh, and I think <laughs> the one thing is watching then, who because both of these coaches are really good at it, Tuchel and, and Guardiola, to see which one of them is better at adapting to the tactics that they saw this weekend, because that's who's going to end up winning the final. 
Yeah, and I think you made some really good points. I mean, we didn't see the two official teams that are going to be playing in the final, um, but we did see uh, we did see Tuchel adapting, and th- that was pretty cool to see because hey, I got some weapons that I can use against you. And yeah, Guardiola was fuming after uh, Aguero missed that penalty. And but you're right; like if he would have scored, we would all be praising him and saying how what a great striker he is. Uh, but yeah, sometimes uh, you eat the bear, and then you know sometimes the bear eats you, and you miss that one, and uh, they miss a good chance of winning. I'm just tired because every weekend I'm just waiting when is Man City just gonna be crowned champions so they can just focus in the Champions League. And now people are talking about Man United is gonna come back. Win all the games and hey, gonna- mean, they, they can. They, I'm I'm not saying they're going to win the league, but they can cut it to seven points. Now, City does need to lose two and draw one out of their next three games. No, oh for that God. to happen, I'll, I'll, I'll leave. Against, like bottom of the table teams. I'll move to a different country and change my name. I don't know if that's gonna ever ha- <laughs> if that ever happens, uh, but it's gonna be an interesting final. Uh, I think we have something planned, uh, something special where we can do something live. So it'll be pretty cool to talk to other soccer fans and see uh, how we can hype up and uh, how can we prepare for this final. So it's gonna be fun. And for our boy Eric, who's not here, one of his predictions almost came right. We almost had the battle of the balls, but uh, Real Madrid could not pull away on that one. But yeah, I'm excited. It's going to be a crazy final coming up next week. Chelsea versus Man City. It's going to be crazy. Uh, Thomas Tuchel and Pop Guardiola. Let's brace ourselves for a good final. And we'll be back for the next episode uh, with some good analysis on that one as well. But all right, fellas, let's get to our special guest, former player for San Jose Earthquakes, Colorado Rapids, Miami FC. And of course, a big pleasure to have the head coach of Dallas FC on the show with us, Coach Luigi Gonzalez. He's coming up next. Uh, Super excited. Let's go. All right, soccer fans, we have a big guest joining the show today. He's a former soccer player who's played for clubs such as the San Jose Earthquakes, the Colorado Rapids, and Miami FC. He was a former academy director, and we can now call him the head coach of FC Dallas. It's a true pleasure to have him on the show. So please give him a warm welcome to Coach Luchi Gonzalez to the show. Ole, 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 ole. <laughs> Luchi, Luchi. <laughs> coach, that's our, that's our soccer subs intro. Uh, thank you so much for being on with us. Uh, means so much, uh, you know, for you to give us your time. First things first, coach. From all of us, just wanted to ask you, how are you? How was your off season? We we hope you had a chance to reset a little bit during the off season, and uh, just kind of how's your assessment been of the team so far through preseason and its first three games? Hey guys, uh, it's a pleasure to meet everyone. Pleasure to be on this podcast and uh, and have this discussion. So uh, thank you for the the intro. Um, you know, I, I was a, a much better youth player than I was a, a professional. I, I certainly got to learn a lot not playing as much as a professional. And maybe that's why I, I became a, a teacher and a coach and a manager eventually as my next career or, or passion. But, you know, I love the game and I'm thankful to to be uh, still involved in it from my youth until now. Uh, I'm married. I have two kids. My wife has made sacrifices. We've lived in five different cities to pursue my passion in soccer, which was not always professional. It only became professional recently. Um, in fact, it had it, it was in school. It was in youth. It was an academy. And my wife always was by my side. So I have her first and foremost to thank to just be a part of this game. But no, I'm here to just uh, be, listen and answer any questions you guys have. And and again, a pleasure to to be on on the program. Oh, fantastic. Thank, thank you for having us. Um. Again, thanks for all your time. My question is, you know, Coach, you started off uh, at FC Dallas as academy director. I'm curious, you know, how was the transition from director to head coach? You know, were there any challenges that you faced? Um, you know, anything that went easy for you? I, I, I'm so curious. Sure. Um, honestly, it was all very organic. Uh, it was all in steps. You know, my whole life, I, I think I, I took steps. I don't remember skipping steps. Maybe, maybe going from the academy director to coaching the first team, there, there is a step that was skipped. You know, I was, I was hoping one day I could be an assistant in MLS. I, I was hoping maybe I could coach, head coach our reserve group, which was the next plan. So I'll give you some, some insight. You know, I was actually preparing to be the head coach of the second team in that moment, and I was going to leave my position as the academy director. I was putting together that staff, that roster, and then, you know, I got we got the news in the club. Oscar was going to go to Cholos in Mexico, and the club was going to have a, an official opening in the head coach position. And even in that whole moment, I, I didn't think once uh, I would 
I was going to be a candidate. I was focusing on, uh, maybe, you know, again, the second team. And I was really excited to create that bridge between the academy and the first team. And I was looking forward to meeting whoever that coach was going to be to help them integrate, to help welcome them to the club, work with them. And But uh, ownership asked me to do the interview and be a candidate. And, and uh, I was very flattered and honored. And when you put that kind of challenge in front of me and maybe, yeah, in retrospect, definitely was not ready. But I don't believe it's about being ready. I, I believe it's about being prepared. And because that's that's more of an actionable thing that you can you can um no one's ever ready. It's like it's like res- the word resilience. It's like this after product. I think being ready is an after product. I think it's about being prepared. And so that's some that's what I put my focus on. And uh, in terms of the staff, in terms of uh, planning, in terms of you know growing in in tact- tactical ways and management ways and and just some self confidence and know that hey, I, I I can't help that I don't have experience, but I can certainly grow. And as long as my mentality is to learn and I'm process oriented and I believe in myself and I want to take the club to the next level, the next step, then then it's certainly a journey worth worthwhile. So that's that's been what I've been fortunate to be a part of. And here we are, year three, uh, competing to do something we've never done, which is try to win an MLS Cup. And and I believe it's it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And obviously a lot of battles before that. And I'm not big on like these long-term goals. I didn't get to this opportunity because I was so focused on the long-term goals. It's about being the best where you are, whether I was coaching U-12s girls in Miami or U-16 boys in FC Dallas or U-19 boys in FC Dallas or the first team. I'm going to give it everything I've got. And I'm going to, I want to show that the team that I coach is going to have a, an identity in terms of the human being caring for each other, leaving everything on the field like teammates, like a brother or a sister would, relentless energy, honesty, both with and without the ball. And then, you know, intelligence to read the game, open to learn about playing, you know, uh, technique, savvy, and then putting that all together. That's that's what I believe in. And so I'm just really fortunate to, to, to do what I do every day. And I, and I don't take it for granted. So I know you just touched on uh, a little bit of you know, how you came into the job and, and how you developed in the, the new role at Dallas. I sort of wanted to touch on the identity of Dallas and, 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 and the soccer program as a whole. You know, when you were coming into the job, obviously, you know, it's different coaching in, in Miami versus in, in, in Texas and they're different places, different people. But is there something specific about Dallas that really made the job as head coach different, something about the fans, something about the culture? And if so, could you give us a little bit into what that is? Sure. So, you know, I, I grew up in Miami, Florida. Uh, I grew up with a very rich culture around me. My, my father's from Peru. My mother's American. I grew up speaking two languages in the home. My neighborhood that I grew up in South Miami, it was, it was Cuban, Honduran, Peruvian, Argentine, Brazilian, Uruguayan. Colombian, a lot of Colombians, just, it's just so diverse, Latino diverse, right? Latino diverse. And I grew up playing with these type of players. I grew up with this culture and this food and this music. And I grew up watching Peruvian soccer, Colombian soccer, Argentine soccer, Libertadores. I I knew about Libertadores before I ever heard about Champions League. I was, I knew about Boca River before I ever knew about um, Manchester United, Man City or, you know, or, or Bayern Munich, Dortmund. I, I grew up with just that influence. Um, that was my community and I'm very proud of it. And I think that led to my liking of a <clears throat> creative football, uh, you know, combination play, uh, creativity, taking risk, you know, the, some of the flair of it, you know, and, and the personality in it and, and the fight in it. So I, I just love that. And, and that's what I knew. That's what I grew up with. And, and then when I got to Dallas, I was given the opportunity to play at SMU for Shells Heinemann. That's where I went to college. So you're talking about in, in 98, 99, I'm here, I'm in Texas and I'm a, I'm a South Florida boy. And then I'm, I'm learning a different culture. The college soccer was a lot of very physical, very fast, very vertical. So I had to adapt and, and it wasn't easy. But when I did adapt it, I was able to find my balance and I was very successful in, in youth. I was I played in U16 U17 national teams, played a U17 World Cup. I was in the U20 qualifiers and lead up to that World Cup. I didn't make the final roster, but I was competing with those guys. I played with guys like like Kyle Beckerman, Nick Raimondo. I, I played with uh, Taylor Twelman, Corey Gibbs, 
these guys that all had pretty successful careers, not just in MLS, overseas, Carlos Bocanegra, Tim Howard, you know, these are, these are guys that I got, that were teammates in my youth. And, uh, you know, so I, I got, I got a really good experience and I was a very confident young player. When I got to professional, you know, it didn't go so well for me. I, I jumped around. I played in seven teams in eight years, you know, and I, I was a soldier. I was going to go play where I could play. I, I, I won a championship in Peru. I played in, in my father's country in Cristal. It's my, my only professional championship as a player, and I know, I'll never forget it. I was like a sub. I would come off the bench. I could score here and there. And I will never forget that feeling of being a champion with my team, even though I didn't even play the three games leading up to, to that last game of the championship. But I'll never forget it because it's that collective honor, a collective uh, trophy. And I won uh, a Herman, you know, I've won individual accolades. I've won those youth accolades, high school All-American player of the year. Those all, And nothing ever felt the same as winning something collectively. But look, I, I think um, I had my journey as a player. I had I, I learned I went I met my wife in Denver where I played for the Colorado Rapids and and then uh, I started to play in A-League. If you remember, that's kind of what USL is now. It's, it was the second division. I was playing with Minnesota, and then uh, I was going to continue to play. I was actually really happy. I was playing a lot. So even though it wasn't MLS, I was playing. I was a captain. I was a, one of the leaders of the team. I really enjoyed it. I could tell the club appreciated me and wanted me to stay. But they only paid me seven seven months out of the year. And uh, my daughter was born. And I reality set in, and I needed uh, to... to move on to the next thing to provide for my family and, get, and provide stability. So I got, I was offered a teaching job. I was a substitute teacher in a public school and the offer was to get a salary to substitute teach, coach the high school program and then coach a youth team. And I'll never forget the, how, you know, it was a humbling decision because giving up playing, which I loved making my wife move back to my home city for not a, you know, a very, uh, you know, not, not a great income. But she was by my side all the whole time to just believe in me to to grow in coaching and teaching the game. And so I was an algebra teacher. I, I I was a youth. I became a youth director in Miami. And so you know. But I'll never forget my years in in Dallas, Texas, with Shellis. I think I learned discipline. I think I learned. You know. I just I, I learned about the, our country, the U.S. I think when you're in Miami, you grow up in South Florida. You're, it's almost like you're in a different country. You know. It's, it's like it's it's a little different and. I, became, I think I believe I became more American living in, in Texas, uh, which I'm very proud of. I'm very proud of, you know, Texas being one of two homes, no matter what, for the rest of my life. And then uh, I'll, I'll give you the short story here. I, I ended up teaching, coaching, having that opportunity in South Florida. And I get a call for, from Shellis and Fernando Clavijo. So Shellis, I played for in SMU. Fernando Clavijo was my coach in Colorado Rapids. I played for him for two years. And I'll never forget hearing him and saying, Hey, Lucci, how are you? I haven't spoken to you in five, five years, six years. And uh, we want to give you the opportunity to coach in our academy. Fernando was my coach. He, he waved me. He didn't pick up my option. He cut me, you know, he made a decision that I wasn't happy with as a player, but I'll never forget. He always showed care. He always showed love. He always showed respect. And even though I wasn't happy that I didn't, it didn't work out. I, I always try to show that respect back. And, and it's a great lesson of like, always make sure you maintain good relationships, show respect. You might not agree with all decisions in your, in your life and the people you work for, but if you maintain good relationships and good ethics, you never know when you, you get another opportunity. So here I am, the coach who cut me from playing in MLS, my last MLS game, all of a sudden is hiring me to be an MLS Academy coach. So I was so, you know, I was so taken back by that and, and I wanted to grab that opportunity. And the, the salary was half. Of what I was making between being a dean of students, a director of a club, coaching in Miami. Uh, my wife had a full-time job, pharmaceutical sales. And so we were fine. I was happy in Miami, but I was happy maybe from a stability standpoint, which I wanted, but to coach a, an academy, FC Dallas professional academy team full-time, even though I was going to make less. And even though I had to move my whole family, it was an easy decision. And I, and I knew I wanted to take that next step of coaching and teaching young players about the game and doing it full time and helping players get to the professional level, which when I first started, I was very nervous and I don't know what I was doing. And when I recommended Jesse Gonzalez to be signed in the club, I don't know what I was doing. And when I recommended Kalen Acosta or, you know, back then, uh, let's say, uh, you know, Victor Yo was signed before I ever, I was ever in the program, but you know, like Jesus Fedeida, Paxton Pump, you know, Weston McKinney once upon a time was certainly on the table and we, we didn't have the opportunity to sign him. He ended up going to Germany, but 
what an experience I've gotten through the academy to just coach these young players in that, in that environment and fight for them to be professionals, first team players, without them being ready, but believing that they're going to be prepared and they have the potential with if they're given the opportunity. I'm a product of development. So how can I not fight for these young players to be given opportunities? So I feel very connected and very, very honored to, to do what I do every day for this club that's given me the opportunities my, 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 about my ninth year now, finishing my ninth year. And, uh, and I'm going to fight to have another nine years. Oh, coach, you know, what a fascinating and amazing story. Um, honestly, it's just amazing hearing it coming from you. I know you touched upon a bit on, you know, culture and community. I'm curious, honestly, what's it like, you know, for the players and you as a coach to be playing in a state with such a strong sports presence? I'm talking football, baseball, basketball. You know, do you think there's more pressure for you to succeed? You know, you Dallas, Texas... North Texas is very, it's got a very competitive sports culture. You know, I know you have the, you know, you have the Cowboys, you have the Mavericks, you have the stars. They all have this star correlation, right? And, you know, these are big sports organizations and have all found their, their levels of success. And uh, there's, there's big fan bases. There's so Dallas certainly has a rich history of like professional sports clubs and franchises. I don't think they call them clubs in the other sports, but you know what I've noticed um, when I, ever since I started coaching here, you don't realize how competitive the youth sports culture is. You know, uh, there's always a tournament. There's always a league. Um, it's so funny. My, my son is seven years old and my wife, her best friend lives in town. And they're talking about me. My son plays, you know, in, in FC Dallas, the, the, you, he came through U6, U7, U8. I'm thinking of maybe giving him something else. Other, I want him to do, he's doing some tennis. My wife say, hey, can you play some flag football? I said, yeah, I think that's cool. Hand-eye coordination. The flag, there's like a combine for the flag football league for seven-year-olds. They're going to literally put them through these, these like t- timed uh, tests of sprints. They want to see their vertical. They want to see their how well they catch. These are seven-year-olds. And that's the youth sports football culture in Dallas. That's how competitive. And they, what they're going to do is they're going to like tier each kid and put them in these rankings and these categories and they're going to do like a draft these coaches are going to do a draft it's hilarious and you know what and and you go to the youth you, i got my daughter's a u12 soccer player it's crazy the parents the passion they're like rep that's a handball it's, you know and it's like it's not i'm not proud when i hear these things you know like i want these kids to have no anxiety and play free without the pressure but you know what? There's something about it that's actually really good too. That they're instilling pressure and competitiveness, and maybe the team's going to play more vertical, skip lines, not play the right way to develop. And so that I have concerns about that. If, if a club or a team doesn't implement a curriculum that allows for players to develop at the highest level, especially to compete, both boys and on the girls' side. But I I can't take away the competitive nature of youth teams here in Dallas. It's it's crazy. It's crazy. You see kids with like rings like. They won the season, so they got this ring on their finger, or you know they, they want to win that trophy, or they're, they're collecting 200 medals, youth medals that they won. And I just get that. There's we have that youth sports culture in Dallas. It's really competitive. I think that's that's really helped the young soccer player have that mentality and that you know protagonism to want to compete and play and win. And you see that in a lot of our young players that, that come through the system, not just in FC Dallas and any of all these young clubs or youth clubs in, in, in this city. Uh, I think on that on top of like our pathways now with, with the, you know, we've got, shoot, we've got 10 U10 teams, right? So you've got all these players competing, filtering to maybe eventually the top U12, U13. And look, I've learned not to, not, uh, you know, to, to judge too early, any of these kids, any of these kids can make it. Uh, I've seen too, too often that kid that's undersized, he's small, he's not fast, you know, so he's not competing well today, but that kid can develop a soccer brain, good technique, good timing, good movement. And that player can be very successful at the highest, highest level. You're talking about Iniesta's, the Xavi's, Griezmann. If you, if you research Griezmann, he played for like four different youth teams, youth club teams jumping around, between France and Spain until Sociedad actually picked him up as a youth player, saw something in him. And that's a world-class player, right? So, so Busquets, there's great stories about him. He was not athletic. He was slow. He wasn't coordinated. He was lanky. He, he was a little awkward physically. 
and there was a lot of uh, you know young clubs in his area that wrote him off but something uh, was seen in his uh, decision making and his technique and his body orientation and his personality and he's a, another world class example that's not exactly a super athlete so i think that's something we're still learning about in our country i see that in dallas you start you see a lot of youth boys and girls teams with a lot of physical fast players very direct and sometimes some of those other profiles that are important at the highest level the the six the the 10 the those players that you know their necks get sore because the ball is going over them so many times <laughs> so i think we're still learning in our so i'm proud in dallas that we have coaches getting their licensing getting the right coaching education teaching the game the right way so that there our players are getting technical reps they're getting decision making they're getting ball mastery with dribble but they're also getting combination play reading time space opponent teammates so so those are things that we need to continue to enrich our players with because i always say this to our academy uh, coaches we're not competing in our players we're not competing with this local youth team down the street we're competing with santos and brazil's u12s we're competing with bayern munich's u17s we're competing with uh, barcelona's you know la masia that's who we're competing with because we're sending we're signing players from spain or colombia or brazil that are taking a spot that maybe a young player coming through our academy needs to earn so we need to do things better and and continue to improve i think we do a great job i'm very proud of who we are in our academy in fc dallas we have a very successful academy we've won national championships we won dallas cup we won international championships we put players in the in the national teams in the youth levels we've got the most players ever out of an academy in the first team and not just in MLS in the world we have the most players from an US American professional academy playing professional in the world you can fact check that if you want but and we're I'm proud of that i think we're going to have a world cup with maybe four or five maybe six players from our academy amazing proud of that super amazing i'm going to pay for that it's not my job i got to win saturday you know but but I'm going to make sure that whatever I do it's in, in from that philosophy because I again guys I'm a product of it and I've got to believe in that I still we still need a mix of our veteran players more experienced players we still need to outsource and bring players from other cultures and leagues and even in the US with the college draft that's important to us but we got to make sure we're always always trying to get better and better with our academies from the U6 age group all the way to U19 you know and our second team because our second team is a professional team but it's still under the umbrella of our academy it's a U23 it's a development team the, it's a development team put guys in a position to be ready for our first team so look Dallas has this kind of the, these ingredients right you're talking about competitive youth sports culture you're talking about FC Dallas having facilities having coaching coaches trying to teach the game in this way and then last thing is it's diverse Dallas is pretty diverse there's there's latino population there's 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 different like uh, types of people from different countries that and then you know you have different backgrounds here profile athletic you have fast strong big and you have small technical coordinated and and the beauty of our game is is the best teams in the world have a mix and match of those of those qualities so i think all that together allows us to put guys in a position to compete in mls and and internationally at, at in pro professional but we're still not doing it i think to our potential and we want to keep working to do it better. Hey coach, thank you so much for all that insight. I think you're definitely touching up on a, on kind of our next question for you. Thank you to Marlene by the way. We just wanted to mention we were able to attend media availability for FC Dallas about 2 weeks ago and President Dan Hunt was on the call and you know, he was just raving about the FC Dallas Academy being one of the best here in the United States and really just like how the club gets volumes of calls from clubs all over the world on these youth players and and that's something super amazing for us to hear that. Aside from what you just mentioned, the diversity, um, and I'm sure you guys have an amazing staff. We're super aware of the, of kind of the role you you, you took place with in 20, the 20, the 2016 squad. I wanted to ask you, um, what else is in that secret sauce? What kind of sets sets aside uh, the FC Dallas Academy from the rest? And uh, I'll just give a quick um, quick shout out to we had an Ecuadorian player here, Anibal Chala, um, an Ecuadorian player who came from FC Dallas, and he raved about the academy as well. Yeah, no, I, I think. I think the fact that we we have the older ages train in the morning it allows that those so you have the U15 U17 U19s they're they're training literally side by side with us the first team and the second team 
So I know with the virus, it's been very a big challenge with because you've had to kind of create these bubbles and you don't want to can't cross contaminate bubbles but because it's going to put the first team players at risk, puts the second team players at risk. And you got kids in the, in the academies still going to, you know, they have a school program. So there's there, we, we work with the city so that these players in our program, they they miss they actually get P.E. credit for training in the morning with the academy. And so there's just there was last year was very was hard. Last year was really hard. It was maybe the hardest year for, for our integration program with the academy, second team and the first team, just because players weren't able to, to bounce around like, like they usually do. We're getting back to normal with the vaccine, with more testing. Uh, we're, we're getting closer to normal. We're not there yet, but we're getting closer. But I'll give you what, what normal is for us. Normal is a 15-year-old with the U17s at any moment is called to train with the U19s. At any moment, it's called to train with the second team. At any moment, it's called to train with the first team. I had two O fives in our first team preseason. Uh, we had an, we have an O six. I just played recently with our with our second team. Maybe that player is going to get opportunity with the first team within the year if he keeps progressing, or other players because we have other players. And maybe uh, if the player that's getting opportunity today doesn't keep showing their humility, their hard work, their great attitude, their ability to learn and adapt. Then, then maybe someone else is going to grab that. So we always say, be ready. Who can be the next one? But even if you're called today, maybe you're not going to get called tomorrow. There's no guarantee. So it's about staying on your toes. I'll tell you a story about, you know, you have a player like Zeus Fededa who was always playing up, always playing with the older team. The next team was training with the first team since he was 15, 16. And then you have Tanner Tessman who never played up, who played his age. He saw his own teammates going and playing up. When he wasn't, but he was focused and doing, taking care of his, his things and learning and staying humble and staying hungry. And, but they're both playing in the same team at the same level today, you know, and I don't, what the future holds, who knows? They're both really young still, but it's just an example that we all have different avenues. And, and it's really important that we always create that message in our academy, our second team, that every day is, is a new day and whatever opportunity you get, grab it. And if you don't get it, Keep, keep being a, a great teammate, keep working, keep learning. And it's about focusing on what you can control to reach your potential. And I have some great stories of, you know, Victor Yoa didn't touch the field for two years as a professional. You know how many kids would quit or ask to go to another club, another team. And the guy didn't touch the field for MLS for two years. And I wouldn't say almost two and a half. And he's the longest lasting MLS Academy player in the league from our, from our Academy. And wow, he's not, that's amazing. He's not with us anymore, but he, he's always a reference for us. He's always a reference for us about great attitude, professionalism, consistent day in, day out, commitment to the team and training and not pointing fingers, not making excuses. Brian Reynolds, Brian Reynolds, a great young. Everyone wants to say, oh, you know, wow, this is the future of the national team. Roma, what a transfer. We're so proud. Yeah, people don't realize he was playing with our second team two years ago. And, and still trying to figure things out tactically, still adapting. The guy was a winger his whole youth career. We converted him to, out, to outside back. Oscar started that process. I, I continued it when I started. And the guy, and it wasn't easy, and it wasn't perfect. And there was a lot of uh, disappointment, you know, with the player and to learn. And is he going to make it? Is he not? A lot of questions. You know, he's got Reggie in front of him. And so he wasn't really getting opportunities and, but he just kept fighting, he kept training, he kept fighting, he kept training. He kept showing a great attitude. He, he started to mark, you know, Michael Barrios a little tighter in training. He started to, to close down Santi, be more aggressive. And then, like I said, he wasn't ready when, when he got his opportunities, but he certainly was showing preparation and he grabbed it. And so, it, but it's a story of like mental strength, mental strength, going and playing two years ago with our da uh, Dallas Cup U19s. And not maybe not feeling he had the best performance because it's hard when you're not synchronized with that group. You just have to go down and play. No, you, you're expected to be the best player. Hey, it's not easy. It's 11 versus 11. It's not tennis, one versus one. There's dynamics. But the guy always never gave up, kept fighting. And so I have, I have to be so proud of, of a player like, like Brian who had to be really patient before he got his opportunity. So I make that example that uh, you asked what the, the sauce, the secret, there's no secret. You know, I think there's just a good combination of, in, of ingredients, uh, of salt and pepper that, that allow us to, <laughs> to do for sure. 
to get guys at the next step, but it's all done in different ways. Look, Weston's Avenue is different than Paxton's, different than Asus, different than Tanner, like I just said, different than Brian Reynolds. And then you have a player like Justin Che, who hasn't even played with the first team, but he he's following Chris Richards' footsteps because we have a partnership with Byron, and if we see they have an opportunity to play, good for the player, good for the club, you know, then then I'm I'm gonna understand and support as a first team coach. Of course, I want Justin Che here. Of course, I would want Chris Richards here to help us compete. But I understand how it's good for the club and it's good for the player. And there's things there that we can reinvest back into the club and. And I, you know, I, I think finding that balance is important for me. If it's about using people, using players, then then I, I don't feel good about it. I won't go to sleep and feel good. I, I have to, my focus is on development. And the way that I believe in winning an MLS Cup is, is with development. I think they go hand in hand, competing in development. And maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I, I say this, I, I have this, I pose this challenge. Like I've seen a lot of MLS Cup winners before this concept of DP, you saw MLS Cup champions. They were like that great unit. These guys at the, the old Salt Lake, the old, you know, the Kansas City, you had the, even the Rapids beat us in the finals. Just this committed unit, you know, phys, just efficient. And it was their year. You know, maybe they weren't top seed in their playoff, in their ranking of their conference, but they they made a run in the, in the playoffs. And that's, you can win an MLS Cup. Amazing. And then you start to see this DP factor, right? With, with teams winning with, some DPs that made big impacts, but that cost a lot of money. And, and so you see the Atlantis that, that won with a really positive style of play uh, and a big investment with DPs, but are they, did they have any homegrown play a lot significant in that? I don't, I don't think so, you know? And I think there's, there's some things that, uh, that the league is evolving in for sure. And I'm so happy that the league is growing with stadiums, fan base, we're going to get through this pandemic pretty soon and it's going to come back to normal soon and amazing. And that includes FC Dallas, but I'm not sure I've ever seen an MLS cup winner develop play a, a high volume of players out of the Academy consistently. They eat up a lot of minutes in the right way with a style of play that I think is uh, not easy. You know, that takes playing in, in, connecting and playing through the thirds and, and, uh, and bravery to, 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 to go and commit numbers forward and, and play out of the back and, and in different ways and win an MLS cup. So one, two, three, I don't think I've seen in the history of MLS have all three of those elements, win an MLS wow. cup, play a football style that is, is uh, maybe dominating the ball and having a significant impact from your academy and be show a true development commitment to development i've seen two out of three in many cases i'm not sure i've seen three out of three yeah and I it's, mean, not, it's not going to be easy you got to be a dp team to show that you got to be really committed in how you work as a team and hey we conceded more possession against san jose last week i'm not proud of that i want us but we did create some good chances but we lost the game so every day is a battle mls has got a lot of parity a lot of really sure. good, a lot of good teams it's, it's easy to say I want possession versus actually doing it and winning. Hey, this this is this is a battle, man. But I I, I embrace it and I want to keep fighting for it. Thank you so much, Coach. Coach, and I know Hugh is going to touch on that uh, in a minute. But uh, before that, I just wanted to ask you. Um, you mentioned obviously we read up that uh, you were a teacher uh, prior to joining the FC Dallas Academy. And I just wanted to ask you because I immediately thought of uh, Washington Tavares from the Uruguayan national team. And I was just reading recently as well from a Dutch former uh, Dutch soccer player who mentioned that coaches must have this pedagogical uh, quality in order to have an influence on players. How can the skills of an educator help develop soccer players? Yeah, look, I think there's a lot of profiles that can be successful. I think you can have that. 20-year high-level ex-player, and and they can be very successful as, as a coach. I mean, look at Zidane and, and what he's done with Real Madrid. It's it's very impressive. And here, maybe in our own league, you got like Peter Vermees, who's a successful MLS player. And, and for me, you know, you have coaches like Henri and, and Vieta with Montreal and New York City FC that 
you know, that, that had successful playing careers and, and they're very, very good coaches, Gio Savarese. So, so for me, like, I think that there's just, just different profiles. I think for me, I take pride in that. Look, I, I was a very average to below average professional, but I did play the game at a, at a decent level, at least in our country. But I did get a head start to, to learn about pedagogy, learn about curriculum, learn about lesson planning, learning about progressions and planning, periodization, exercise categories, implementing, adjusting my coaching behavior, modifying games so that there's opposition and then there's a, a theme and a counter theme. And how do I manipulate the counter theme to bring out and improve a theme? And how do I tweak it? Do I make the space bigger or smaller? Do I change my numbers? Do I need to recognize positional needs, stop it? correct it, get in there, let them play, let I'll shut up, let them be vocal and develop in that way. So it's like, there's so many amazing elements in every training that I get to be a part of that the game just shows like this end product each week in this moment, in this, in this given 90 minutes. But I love the process. I love the process. Every meeting I have with my staff, I'm so honored to have a staff I have. I have staff with a similar background to me, believe it or not. Some of them with a teacher background and coaching education background. And then I've got a member of my staff who's a 20-year beast player, ex-player, played in Europe, played France, and Spain, La Liga, League One, played Champions League, UEFA Cups, you know, incredible playing career. And I just have a mix and match of that in my staff. So it's a great balance. I think it's a really rich balance and environment for our players. But look, I think all those profiles can be very successful. And as long as they're complemented, I, I believe, I, I think a, a top ex-player ex needs someone with coaching education next to them and someone with periodization planning type of expertise and background next to them so that there's, you know, there's logical progressions and, and maybe you have that pedagogy person next to you, or you have that pedagogy head coach or, but then you have, you need to have someone on your staff that had a big playing experience can really connect with the players. And I could, you know, there's, it could be like the pit bull of the locker room, re smell the culture, smell the room, smell the energy. When do we got to, light a fire. When are we getting it back off? So those are all, every staff's going to have a mix and match of those things. I, but I'm proud of the one that we have. Uh, and it makes me a better coach every day. I'm challenged. I'm questioned in the right way. We sit in this war room and we, we break down the session. We break down what we want to do tomorrow. We're critical with each other and, and about it. And then we walk out of that room like, like brothers and fighting for each other. So uh, I just, again, I, I, I really embrace that, the process. And I think one of our last questions, and, and this is the, the question that Christian sort of set me up for, you've talked a lot about, you know, you, your, your staff and, and how you work with your staff and how, you know, everything you've learned has allowed you to come here and be prepared. And then that's let you become ready. And we've talked to some other coaches uh, who have said, you know, they have like fundamental pillars for their coaching style. Uh, you know, that's what makes, you know, put the coach's name in front ball work. Like, so our question, or at least my question for you, is what are the things that make Luchi Ball work, and and what are those those pillars that it stands on, and and you know because it it see from, from as as we can all see it seems to be working. So so what exactly is it, and how do you put those together? Look, I, I think it's had moments that it's worked, um, and I think it's had moments that it hasn't. I think 2020 was a really hard year for myself and the staff in terms of improving the game, the way we want to play the game. We found ourselves training a lot less and playing a lot more games with back to like back to back fixtures where we were not very barely any training. It was like play, rest, regen, prepare and a walkthrough and then play again, you know, and not easy. So I, I look at those schedules in Europe with Champions, Champions League, FA Cup, and that's amazing how they get to implement styles. So I had to learn a lot last year. I feel much better prepared for that this year. Getting back, I believe. Some of the things I thought we did well in 2019, want to get those back and I want to do them better. Certainly a lot better than 2020. We defended well in 2020. We're actually one of the best defensive teams, but we were one of the lowest producing with in terms of scoring. And to me, possessions connected to that, transitions connected to that, counter pressing and pressing is connected to that. We want to win the ball higher up the field so we can be closer to the opponent's goal. We want to have confidence to play out because if the team wants to press us and we can play through it, then we can confront their last line and create three versus three with space and go to goal. So if the team wants to press us, we want to break that down with combinations, vertical combinations, synchronized positional play to move the ball forward and move it quickly. 
we spent too much time p- passing the ball near our box and not being vertical enough last year. That's something that we wanted to improve to move the ball through the thirds quicker with more efficiency, more purpose, pressing higher up the field. I already mentioned that. So those are things that I think are very well connected, but that takes training and it takes a conviction. And, and I want to improve that because I don't think it was the standard last year. And I believe that's going to allow us to win more games in, in, a, in a playing style and for our fans to do that job the ultimate job is to win games because we could still get out shot out possess and if we win there's a level of uh happiness by by fans and 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 perception of uh the you know whoever's paying attention when you look at a table and you win not everybody's looking at who had the most possession or shots it's about efficiency so putting that together it's it takes uh you know i've had now my experience i'm on my third year i've I've learned, I think, a lot of things about finding the right balance of your roster, your personnel, your system to try to dominate the ball, impose tactically, go press, control the, the, the game as much as possible through ball possession, but make sure that you're efficient with it and make sure that your press is efficient as well because the ultimate, the most important stat is going to be the, do you get three points or not? And that's the reality of my job. So. It's it's uh it's not easy when when there's a lot of competitive and high level players all across the league and high level coaches, but I love it. I love it, and I believe we're going to keep imp- um, fighting and improving to and to make it better. And and so so for me, you know that if I had to think of maybe the things that are important to me, I look, I I think off the field, I have my my personal values that I share with the team, and we we make our own as a team. But my personal ones are respect. Uh, my personal ones is creativity. My personal ones is development, because again, I feel very connected to that idea. And my other, my fourth would be drive. I'm pretty stubborn. <laughs> I, I, I <laughs> if you knock me down, I'm gonna get up. You knock me down, I'm gonna get up. I'm always, I'm gonna get up, uh, or I'm gonna die trying. And so, you know, and whether that's learning something or a moment, in a competitive moment, or you know, I, I believe me, I want to be open-minded, but those are, those are my four like personal values in the football sense. You know, we have our playing, I, I have my personal football identity and idea, but then I have that in line with my staff and the players that we have and everything I've learned in FC Dallas. So, so what I represent, I want to represent FC Dallas. And to me, it's some of the things we talked about. It's uh, you know, let's, let's uh, let's control the game through ball possession give it purpose with uh, verticality, get numbers forward and let's be efficient and killers uh, in the, in the attacking third, let's kill counterattacks with, with beasts, counter pressing counter and transition. Let's high press as a priority to win the ball as high up the field as possible. And if, if they're going to skip us with direct balls, then we want to challenge those and win second balls, but certainly winning balls farther away from our goal, closer to the opponent. And, um, but let's be total. Let's have a total football sense that the game is not going to be perfect. We're going to end up in low blocks. We're going to end up in recovery, long runs, and sacrificing when the ball turns us. And we've got to be willing to also defend our box, our goal. So I want this total football. I believe in total football, reading what the game has given us, and and let's take advantage of it. But my priority of play is going to be: can we advance up the field, short passing combinations, positional play, and let's let's go win the game that way. Uh, but we, we, but I've learned certainly in our league, uh, it's easier said than done. It's theory, theory yes. different than what you actually do. And I've liked a lot of moments in what we've done, but I've not been happy with, with a lot as well. And I want to make sure I make our fans proud. No matter what, when our fans see an FC Dallas player, I want them to see an honest player. It's going to run their ass off, positive and negative, multiple actions with and without the ball. And, and and that that's that to me is uh, what, what I'm proud to try to keep developing. And I I know that Ronnie has uh, the last question, but before uh, he gets to that, I just wanted to ask you. You mentioned creativity, and uh, that's something that Bielsa has talked about uh, in order to be able to break through the lines. How do you foster that in a team? Well, I think what goes with creativity is courage. You know, you have to we have to instill. A, courage in our players. If, if our players are doing build in our training and I'm ye- we're yelling at them because they didn't see the obvious pass or they took the bad touch, then I think there's, there's a disconnect there and, and actually knowing how to teach that you know, creativity and courage. So creativity takes freedom. Now within that, within that, you have to create a structure, positional requirements. You need to have players and 
at least in some certain starting positions and from there have certain movements and synchronizations and patterns. Um, but you want to let them play. You want them to have courage. And if they make a mistake, we get punished. Hey, that's what training's for. If we make a mistake, let's all transition. Let's be really pro beasts in our transition so that when we make mistakes, we can still have a good possession because we get the ball back right away. So numbers are important. Short passing is important with good numbers so that we have good transition. So it's a lot of fundamental things that we have to make sure our, tra our training hat provides those elements and those situations and we repeat them but that we instill our, in our players a confidence to do it. And I believe our players can do it. I believe all of our players, whether they've been in that style of play their whole life or they just started it yesterday, I believe they can learn it. I believe they can learn it. Ask our 30-year-olds, ask our 32-year-olds if they've learned things in, uh, that to improve them as players, to read spaces, timing, positioning, technique, body orientation. I promise you they're all, they'll, they'll all say they've learned. And um, again, that doesn't guarantee the win, but they're going to learn to be better. They're going to develop. And hey, coach, thank you so much for all your insight. I think we've kept you a little longer than we wanted to. Just probably one of my last questions before we wrap up. And coach, we recently just had Jim Curtin on our show, um, Philadelphia head coach. And, you know, just to quick, quickly give him a quick quote, um, you know, he mentioned something along the lines that, you know, players one through 11 who are playing on the field, you know, are all happy. They're getting playing time. He said the hard part for him in coaching is keeping uh, players 12 through 28 kind of happy or at least uh, motivated. And we just wanted to ask you from a head coaching perspective, you know, and, and how do you keep, you know, players on the bench who, you know, are waiting for their moment to be called, their number to be called, giving them the confidence, the motivation to keep going. And by the way, just before you answer that, there was a really awesome YouTube video of you giving a halftime speech, really motivating your players, telling them, I believe in you. You know, I believe your, your team was down a goal during halftime and you guys came back and, and won that game. But I just wanted to ask you from a head coaching perspective, how, how do you give them the confidence for that? Yeah, it's, it's very true with Jim and I have a good relationship with Jim and I've seen him also have his experiences and Philly's been very committed to, to their academy program and giving young players opportunities. And even in those tough years where, you know, you're not making the playoffs, but still sticking to that philosophy and, and Jim, Jim believing in those young players and, and then winning the supporter shield. Obviously I'm jealous about that, you know, but at the same time, um, I, 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 my hat's off to him and a lot of respect for him and, and that club to do it with those young players. So yeah, very true. I think so, you know, at first when you put a team together and sometimes you inherit a roster, you don't have really much of a choice. You've got contracts, you've got, but then once, once you get your influence on the type of roster you have, you first identify your people and their characteristics, knowing that you got to only, you can only start 11. You can only play another five subs if you use all five and only 20 can make the roster and you have almost 30 players on a roster and then you have a second team and how do you manage that movement for a player and their and their focus and it's not easy and so i think it's really important first that you try to have the best human beings possible on, on your team uh, staff and players alike that that is very important to you that the human being is, is a top top uh, criteria because through that ups and downs and happy or not for playing or not, or this position or that result, the ups and downs, that human being is going to try to stay positive and care for their teammates and be a good teammate. So being a good teammate, being a good human being is the first criteria. I think before you even blow that whistle in preseason that you make, you, you, every, you do your very best to put a group of people collected, you collectively gather them in that way with that, with that criteria. And then after that, they are human. So there's going to be disappointments, whether it's a young player or a veteran player. And I think communication is really important. We have to be careful with over communicating, but I do believe every player should have communication with me um, to some degree. Some I'm going to talk a lot with during the week. Some I talk once a week. Some I don't, I just literally look at them and they, they get it. We get it. And I have players I've been, I'm close with uh, that don't play for me anymore. I barely talk to them, but we have a great, good relationship. I have others that I talk to them almost every day and I don't really stay in touch with them anymore, but you know, but I respect them and that's football. That's professional football. At the same time, you know, going back to my values, as long as I show them my values in terms of respect, in terms of uh, a drive and a will to win, I got to be decisive, but I'm going to want respect no matter the decision. Everything I decide is what I believe is best for the team. 
but I, you know, but that there's going to be a, a respect for the decision and respect for their teammates. You know, as long as that, that those things are, are there, then I think, uh, then I think it could work. But, but I think, I think the communication is important. Being honest is important. You don't tell a player what they want to hear. You tell them what they need to hear. How you tell each one is a little different, but be honest with your players. And if they're not happy with the situation, you give them objective and subjective feedback so that they can improve, so that they can change the situation. And if it doesn't change, well, then tell them, hey, you can do anything you want. It's not changing this because, because of this. At least be honest about it. Own it. And I think players will respect that. It's like they want to hear the – they rather hear the ugly truth than the pretty lie, you know? I think I, I think that's very true. I would want the same. I was a player, so I would want the same. So, you know, communication, honesty, respect, and um, good human being. I think you just talk about those things. You, you reference them. You, you make that important. You give time to the guys that don't start or don't get maybe the frequent opportunities or that are in a rotation. Give time. Talk to them. Connect with them. See how they feel, how they process it, understand them, embrace them no matter what, as long as they're in line with, you know, being a good teammate. I think all of that is not just a head coach, it's, it's a staff, it's teammates with each other, players with each other, just making sure they know that they know that you know that you care about them no matter what the decisions are. And you, you want to see them develop no matter what the decision is today, because it could be different tomorrow. Lastly, it's about being ready. You know, so we can be happy or not about this or that today, but be on your toes, ready, ready. You know, we, we do these talks, we do mental skills as a team, and we talk about not being, it's not about being a victim. No victims here, no complaining, no excuses. Find solutions, warrior mentality, find solutions, problem solve. Control what you can control. You have an emotion you don't like, embrace it. You're human, embrace it. And then control what you can't. Act on what you can control next, which is your energy attitude your work ethic your positivity you know and and you can i'm gonna have emotion i'm not gonna be perfect but i know i'm gonna have it i'm gonna expect it i'm gonna expect the disappointment or i'm gonna expect the challenge and i'm gonna embrace it and i'm gonna grab it and i want to find a solution i'm gonna turn it into an opportunity it's a lot of mental skills things that we we talk about we practice we do uh we do uh meditation together as a team at least once a week we do breathing techniques, and that allows us to just be in a room together, silent, and be and be connected. And the roster can change in a few months. I know that's professional soccer, but while any players here with this experience, they're going to feel family. They're going to feel uh, a care and and a, and a energy that's going to be open to listening and and embrace them no matter what. So I, it's a lot easier said than done, you know. And I'm still learning a lot of these things every day. I'm learning lessons. You know, I, I, I love listening to stories of like Bruce Arena, Bob Bradley, some of the things they've been through and then international coaches overseas, some of the players they've had to manage, different egos, different levels of status. And, and it's not easy. It's not easy, but I'm, I'm wow. open to learning and, and trying to get better at it. Wow, coach. Thank you so much for that. I think um, you really touched on, we had also a uh, head coach, uh, Oscar Pareja from Orlando, and he mentioned on the, on the personal, good. personal touch, you know, getting to know the name of their kids, <laughs> getting to know any, any problems that they're going through, how can you help? And he says to him, that's the secret sauce of building a great relationship. Um, and coach, we thank you so much for your time. We're, we have no doubt that you're the great man for the job and we'll be cheering you from the sidelines here in New York. And uh, we want to say thank you so much. Well, I appreciate you guys, your curiosity, your interest, your passion for the game and spreading it to, to all of our people. So all the best. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Coach Lucci. Appreciate it. Thank you, Marlene. Thank you, Thank you, so, you so much, much, Coach. All right, guys. That was the interview with Coach Lucci Gonzalez. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Oh, man, he gave us more than plenty of enough time. But uh, what a great guy. What a great coach. And fellas, before we get out of here, I'll throw it to you real quick. Take it away. First of all, shout out to Marlene from FC Dallas's media team because she stuck around for that entire interview. <laughs> and if you know, like she she very much and, and we had tech issues and, and she was she was really helpful. So thank you, Marlene, if you're listening to this, thank you so much. And now the thing that I say at the end of every episode.
Make sure to check us out on our social medias at Soccer Subs Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. We also have a YouTube and other platforms. We've recently been approved on iHeartRadio and Pandora. So if you prefer listening to your podcasts there, check us out there. We'll be posting clips on our Instagram and Twitter. And if you want to get an extra preview on our interview, make sure to follow Christian because he always posts clips like a day early. So thank you so much for listening. And I'll pass it off to you guys for the end of the episode. I think every minute of this episode is golden. This is something, at least for people who aspire to coach or just uh, manage in life, this is something so useful. You're going to enjoy it. So thank you so much to Marlene. Thank you so much to Coach Luchi Gonzalez. I know he's going to have a wonderful season. And he said it. He's going to be champions of MLS with this team. And whether that comes this year or next year, it's coming soon. So best of luck to him. Thank you guys for listening. And like I said, I can't wait for this Champions League final that's going to be coming up soon. We'll see you next time. And yeah, big thank you to Marlene. This couldn't have happened without you. Thank you to FC Dallas, Coach Luchi Gonzalez. Thank you for giving us more than enough time that, than we asked you for. Uh, what a great guy. And like we always mention, FC Dallas is on to something. They they have one of the best academies for a reason. So um, he's a coach that we've wanted to interview for a, quite some time. So thank you, Marlene, again, for making that happen. And yeah, for the soccer fans, we'll be back for the next episode talking Champions League. We'll see who wins, Pep Guardiola or Thomas Tuchel. Shoot us a DM, uh, shoot us a message on soccer subs podcast on instagram or soccer subs podcast at gmail and fellas we'll see you guys for episode 25 everyone take care we'll see you guys soon have a good one